I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Carrie Nelson. And we love to watch. We love to watch the movie Goodfellas with some great fellas, Carrie and Aaron. Um, yeah, we're a couple we're, pallies. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're a couple of pallies. I think we look. I I don't know how we're going to structure this episode. I think we do half on pallies. <laughs> I know it's only two minutes. We but we really get deep into there. That we, the time we're not going to have to get deep into Goodfellas. And then yeah, we do the rest if there's time on Goodfellas. Yeah. Reasonable. Yeah, they call they call them uh, they call them uh, carry one one times. They only say things one time. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I already I haven't said anything uh, twice yet, Peter. So I'm not gonna I'm start waiting. now. All right, what are we what are we what are we doing here? Oh yeah, where we love to watch a movie podcast, we pick Business. a theme. We do movies over the course of the month around that theme. If we remember, we compare and contrast. Uh, this time we're gonna be extra funny. We're gonna be funny guys. Uh, we're gonna be amusing to all of you. Because uh, we're covering our first Martin Scorsese movie, um, uh, Goodfellas. Ever? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we, we haven't mean, done sh- we haven't done Shutter Island. Why uh, would we do? No, we haven't done that or much better movies he's done. Um, Shutter Island is amazing. Shutter Island is so fucking good. I didn't good. know you were a Shutter Island stan. Yeah, uh, yeah um, I thought it was fine. Um, uh, no, we haven't done any. What's funny is that like two of my favorite directors. This this double month that we're doing right now, we'll uh, we'll cover because uh, we'll we'll do our first Kubrick because we're going to do Clockwork Orange and um, and then Goodfellas, and that's because we're doing some very uh, over the line movies in some ways because we're doing College Dorm Poster. It's a double month of summer. We're we're trying to capture movies that were popular, uh, kind of like in high school, college cinephiles college students in general that kind of thing those first movies that kind of became a, a, a movie made people movie obsessives or like that was the art house or the, the movie they like so that that's covering a wide range of movies we started started with donnie darko which is a movie that peter and i both had a lot of affection for when it first came out we hadn't seen it in a long time and we were worried that we were not going to think as highly of it when we returned to it. And we didn't think as highly of it when we returned to it. Uh, Fight Club, which is a quintessential, like, it's the new cult canon. It's like, you know, forget about your old movies, Dad. Like, this is what cinema is. And um, a movie that I was obsessed with, uh, Peter was obsessed with, and our guest Rick Kelly had seen once. And was returning to it. Uh, I, we, Offering we fu- a necessary perspective. Uh, a white guy who was not obsessed with <laughs> was, that, was like, that was interesting. <laughs> uh, and moved on with I his do, life. Uh, I do think that he I do think that he uh, offered the perspective of someone, yeah, who, who didn't have to internalize and then de-internalize a bunch of the shit. Yeah, well, and he, I mean, he ended up liking it on, on first watch and really enjoying it upon rewatch. I, I think I was very positive on it. Peter, you were mm-hmm. quasi-positive on it upon rewatch. 
But what's interesting is that, like, he called Rick called out Goodfellas as an example of, like, well, you know, I had seen Goodfellas. So that I that idea of, like, a movie that is getting, like, is grabbing you kinetically immediately and just not letting go for two and a half hours is is how this movie was designed. Martin Scorsese famously, famously said that he had designed this like a two and a half hour movie trailer that just moves, moves, moves. And by the end, it's like getting you all excited for like seeing the movie. And that was the way he designed it. He used this technique again later on for Casino and The Departed and a few other movies that he made. Uh, but like Wall Street for sure. Yeah, but like that's it. I I think that is the right way to think about it because I saw Fight Club first, but Fight Club was a movie that I was like, I've never seen a movie with this much energy grab me like this. <clears throat> but I had those same feelings the first time I saw Goodfellow, probably like months later because of where I was in my uh, in my movie classic watching uh, days. So this is such a perfect one. This is also the one that Peter and I were like. Obviously, I, I watch Goodfellas probably once every couple years. There was not going to be a chance that I didn't end up continuing to love this movie as I have every time. And yeah, I fucking this this movie is great. I was so excited to watch it. I'm very excited for our guest, uh, Carrie, who will be joining us. Carrie, first, introduce yourself to our uh, to our audience in case uh, they've never seen one of your previous guest appearances. Uh, And. Tell us why you picked on the long list that we gave you. Why'd you pick Goodfellas? Hi, everybody. I'm Carrie. Um, I am the archival producer for a show called Finding Your Roots, which is uh, season nine has completed airing. It is a wonderful season um, that I recommend you check out. Um and we are working on season 10 right now, and I don't know when this is airing if I will be able to tell you yet anyone that's going to be on it, but it's going to be really good. It's only like three um, weeks. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't think I can say yet <laughs> yeah. then. Um, but yeah, I so I live in Astoria, in which is in Queens in New York, and I live pretty close to the house that is used as the exterior of young Henry Hill's house in Goodfellas. Um, It is behind what I think is formerly a Staples. I think the Staples has closed fairly recently, but for a long time, it was like right behind the Staples parking lot. New York is always changing. So New York is always changing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I picked... The city's like a character. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like a lot of a lot of the movie, especially in the beginning, is like set in Brooklyn, but it all looks very Queens. And then there is actually a lot of Queens later. I don't I should have double checked where they shot, but there is like a list of like all of the locations. And I think a ton of them are in Queens. Um, but uh, yeah, I picked Goodfellas because I feel like a lot of the kinds of like bro movies that this is like in the genre of mm-hmm. like I either had an aversion to or like I missed the boat on or something yeah. like that. And this was the one that I saw in college that was like, oh, okay, yes, this this one I get. This one mm-hmm. is like really connecting for me. When you were talking about like the the early kinetic experience, I think the first movie I saw like that that hooked me was Run Lola Run. Oh yeah. Um, 
I saw that in we ha- I had a I had a film studies class in my high school and they showed us that. Yeah. And it was like pretty new at Same. the time and that had like Same. that totally blew me away. Um yeah. and so then when I got to Goodfellas, it was like, oh okay, and now there's like more of a plot and yeah. there's significant character development. <laughs> Interesting. Um and I've been thinking a lot about Goodfellas ever since uh I saw The Irishman, which I feel like we talked about quite a bit a couple of years ago on the best of. Oh, yeah. 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 They feel like very connected in my mind. So I think this was the first time I had gone back to Goodfellas since seeing The Irishman. And it was like helpful to see it in that context and, and um, revisit it. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what we get into tonight. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, Carrie, uh, you were saying in sort of the green room, like... This is such a massive movie culturally. Like, yeah. Where do, where do we even begin here? And I yeah. feel like my perspective, it doesn't have to be yours. My perspective is actually that kind of liberates us because we don't have to talk True. about, we don't have to talk about every single like amazing little like shot mirroring trick that, that Scorsese does and Michael Ballhouse does where he's like, like, for instance, there's that amazing thing where, like, they're going to the Copacabana and they do that that swooping first-person perspective of Karen and Henry walking in. And then later they use that during the Layla sequence for yeah. all these guys showing up dead. Yes. Like, that, like, mirroring, like, that's something that, like, a lot of podcasts are going to talk about shot by shot by shot by shot. I, I think it kind of liberates us because people, like, there are other podcast episodes on this where sometimes when we're covering a movie that, like, maybe no one's heard of or it's, like, you know, it's got, like, 500 reviews on Letterboxd, I'm like, okay, we actually have to tell people what this thing is. But, like, everybody listening knows what Goodfellas is and has probably seen at least half of it on TV. And if you're like me, if you see the first five seconds of it on TV, you have to watch every last second of it. I also think this, I think this was the first Scorsese movie I saw and I had to, like, there's movies that I had to go back and rewatch after I, I realized that, like, there th- that this was a new thing for Scorsese as well, like, what he was trying to do in this movie. If you go watch Last Temptation of, of Christ, if you go watch Mean Streets, if you go watch Taxi Driver, it's, it's not, it's not shot like Goodfellas. They're great movies. But like I was when, the first time I saw this, I was like, "Oh, this is how Martin Scorsese directs," and I need to see more Martin Scorsese uh, uh, movies. And I think the next one I watched was Mean Streets, and I remember being like incredibly disappointed by it because like I wanted that same like I'm gonna grab you and I'm gonna just take you on this ride with me and this uh, you know with just this inescapable momentum. And, you know, I kind of had to reset expectations for, like, how he made films. Obviously, he's he's made some amazing films, and Mean Streets is great, Taxi Driver is great. But, like, this felt like uh, one of a kind when it came out, even from Scorsese, who at the time was kind of... Last Temptation of Christ had its own complications, but, like, he didn't really get the best notices for The Color of Money, which came, which was his movie right before this. And they were starting to feel a sense from, like, some critics that he had kind of lost his touch. Like, he wasn't making Taxi Drivers and Raging Bulls anymore. He did the sequel to The Hustler that was great for the Paul Newman performance. And then he had The Last Temptation of Christ, which was attracted a lot of controversy. But there was a, definitely a mixed consensus of, like, how, how well it how well it was done, and this felt like an explosion of new of new life for uh, for Martin Scorsese, and and 
you know, it, when that's your first experience, it is like, oh my god, this person is making movies like I just haven't really seen before. Fight Club was kind of my example of a movie that grabbed you, but I think I saw Goodfellas after The Godfather, and I liked The Godfather. Godfather's not the best movie to see when you're in high school, maybe. <laughs> But it's but it, it you know it was like it was like an old it felt like an old classic mob movie like I was watching my dad's type of mob of of pictures right a lot of talking a couple of exciting scenes and like good character and obviously it's a movie that I appreciated more as I watched it but then I saw Goodfellas and I was like oh this is what I want all my mob movies to be and uh, i mean honestly this movie would still be remembered i think very positively and one of the best movies of 1990 if it wasn't for an even more exciting movie that came out that year dances with wolves which as we know won best picture and best director which is i mean i don't know which one you guys prefer but (laughs) clearly i want to make a joke about it but i've never even seen it oh yeah so i don't even (laughs) know I like I like dance. I, like I saw dance I, 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 I saw it when it came out in 1990. I've, I've never seen. I've it heard it's then. fine. I've I heard like it's dance fine. with wolves. It's, it's a good yeah. movie. It's very it's very pretty. But I think the choice is obvious there, right? Like it's not. This is not a situation where I like want to throw the movie under the bus. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 it does seem particularly silly, Aaron, when you when you hold it out like that, right? It, it is one of the classic. Like I can't believe this one. Like the I can't believe Shakespeare in love beat Saving Private Ryan or I can't like there's there's those kind of like whether you agree with that take or not like I can't believe Forrest Gump beat Pulp Fiction or whatever else that like that that it, it's it's remembered as one of those like no one holds up Dances with Wolves as like a touchstone of American cinema <laughs> and like you know that's what it beat and there was I mean I was kind of amazed to like. Like, I don't, like, uh, Lorraine Bracco's obviously really good in this movie. Her defeat is actually one of the few in that uh, Best Supporting Actress to Kathy Bates in Misery was the only one where I was like, oh, I don't, I can't, maybe I do like that Kathy, like, that's a really tough They're both one. really that's good. Tough. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, Sometimes fact, you just Oscars. have a really stacked field. Yeah. Yeah. But the fact that, like, De Niro wasn't nominated in this, besides Pesci's win, which was great, like... Um, it, it, it does feel like a lot of critics were very positive where it clearly was so influential was, you know, you called out the obvious scenes there, Peter, like this, this made every like, you know, filmmaker go, oh, I'm going to do that in a lot of movies. Um, and like, whether it's like Paul Thomas Anderson, the boogie night scene, like mimicking Goodfellas or like basically everyone who does a steady camera shot in movies, like this this was it's it's why it's always so much higher on even directors lists like the sight and sound than than critics lists because it is just like this feels like a template of how to make movies that Scorsese made by essentially trying to cut a two and a half hour trailer. Yeah, and and, and so uh, to take a little step back there, like <clears throat> I was saying uh, earlier, like there's certain elements about Fight Club that if you take them out, this movie is nothing. Like, certain soundtrack elements, or Brad Pitt is not playing Tyler Durden. The movie's nothing. Like, it's like, it's an interesting curio from David Fincher, right? Whatever. Yeah. This is a movie that you can extract, you could chop off all the greatest moments of it, basically. And you just keep chopping and chopping and chopping, and you still have a great movie. But a theme of this month, uh, or this summer, excuse me, has been sort of like, why does this end up on the college dorm room walls? Why is this that kind of thing? And, and and a key point is 
the cultural cultural weight of it is like you know it's going to be hard for us to to value but we got to keep talking about it the other piece is like why is this movie so uh sticky with with men and and why does this movie like like attach to men so much something i want to talk about tonight but my favorite thing in this movie and it's something that like every time i watch the movie i get swept up in is that Karen, as soon as as soon as Karen enters the movie, Karen is as important as Henry is. She gets to do her own VO and hijacks the movie to tell you like, okay, Henry was like Henry's vision of this was like a little off, okay, or like, hey, I wasn't just like you know a beaten housewife. Like I liked this. This was this was part of my journey. Like that her being abused, her f- being in love with him. Her being an active proponent of, of the, the drug smuggling from the Pittsburgh group. Like, and then her finally being, like, the woman that leaves him is, like, it's all part of the, the story in a way that, like, if you take out Karen's POV in this movie, I do think the movie is limping and hobbling and doesn't work the way that it does before. Whereas like I was saying last week, like you could take out like the, like the use of Layla in that one scene. You could take out as far back as I always, I knew I always wanted to be a gangster. Like you could take out all the classic movie moments and make them a little bit weaker, a little softer. This movie still sings. You can't take fucking Karen out of this movie. Like Karen's POV is the movie. It's so good. What's so interesting about that to me is I feel like that's, very rare in Scorsese's filmography. Mm-hmm. Like, as much as I love him, he does not have very many well-written female characters. Yeah, <laughs> no. just not. It's not what he's doing, and no. that's fine. But I think it's the one thing holding Wolf of Wall Street back. Yeah, like Margot Robbie's character absolutely needs more more POV. Absolutely. Yeah, and like I, I honestly. You know, I think we we talked about this a couple of years ago. I I would honestly defend the Anna Paquin character in The Irishman. I think that that's a very interesting use of that character. Yeah. But uh, no one is like Karen that I can think of in no. any movie I've seen of his. Age, Age of Innocence it has you know complex yeah. wound characters, but like San- that's... Sandra Bernhard in King of Comedy, but that's like a very different thing. Cape, Cape Fear has yeah. Cape Fear has like a very complex set of women characters, but like they're mostly victims of the horrific shitty men in the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is like a little bit more complex. Like Karen is not sinless in any capacity. Like she's going around with, you know, she's doing cocaine. She's not always a great mother in a lot of moments through some very stressful. She's noting that like she, um, you know, wanted to you know liked some of his violent tendencies and his power and the money that came through but she's also a lot of women would run away as soon as the man asked him to hide a gun but it kind of turned me on she's also uh has a lot of individual agency and perspective that we are getting into her head to understand where her thoughts are which is different than a lot of the even those other scorsese movies where you're still seeing like that perspective reflected through our like uh, male protagonists uh idea mm-hmm. yes yeah yeah it it, it it it's one of the reasons like goodfellas and casinos though are like the movies that i return to is because they feel yeah. like they're these very balanced movies um that are also incredibly incredibly consumable yeah. right like these are movies that like once i start them i don't stop them i had no idea that good when i was starting goodfellas yesterday this is a movie i've seen two dozen times in my life maybe 
No idea what the length was. I was like, this is like an hour and 50 minute movie, right? I was off by 40 minutes. <laughs> Doesn't feel like it, though. Yeah. I only reason it's I crazy. knew. Yeah, the only reason I knew is because I was like, sometimes when we watch the show, I'm like, holy shit, they did all that in the first half hour. This is a movie that I was an hour and 10 minutes in. And I was like, holy shit, they did all that in the first half hour. And I paused and I was like, oh, we're halfway done. Okay, good. I started it a little late on Monday night, and I was like, it's fine. I've seen this movie so many times. I'm going to watch half, and then Wednesday night I'm going to watch the other half, and I just stayed up till 1.30. <laughs> yeah. like, I, I, like, I didn't even notice how much – it was like, well, I'm not going to stop it now. Like it, it, but, but again, that that is kind of the power of this movie. It is it – is, and something we reference with Fight Club 2, it's two and a half hours, and it feels like – an hour and a half. You don't feel time go by. It is it is not giving you time to to breathe. Yeah, yeah, and then that's also uh, you know maybe key to uh, the movie's success, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is uh is that it is so so freaking watchable. Um, well, I think that's definitely the key. Though. The the key to the dorm room success, right? This yes, is this exactly. is the this is the movie that you can throw on for anyone, and they're usually going to get sucked into it, like. Uh, I, I everyone that I've shown this to, I think my wife and I watched it uh, like eight years ago when she was looking for good movies based on true stories, and you know through and just you know she hadn't seen this. I don't think she had seen Casino, and I think we watched both. And um, I mean, she immediately sucked in, and she hates long movies. Like she has real, <laughs> you know, it's just not her thing. And she was, you know, sucked in because that's like it is. If I threw on Age of Innocence or Bringing Out the Dead or. <laughs> You know, those are movies I love and I think are great, but like they are, they are not the the Scorsese that everyone at work can agree on or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone likes Goodfellas. And I think that also why that is also like good for cinema is that like myself, once I saw Goodfellas, I wanted to see more Martin Scorsese movies. And the fact that he has such a, a rich catalog of like classic movies this is such an easy entry point for cinema. It's also why it's like one of, I think, our other themes is like, why do these movies that we're talking about this month end up on like the top of IMDb? It's because you can probably say like, I became a cinephile because of Goodfellas. Like this isn't not just an entry point to mob movies or Scorsese movies or whatever else. This can be your entry point to, I didn't know they could make movies like this. And I didn't know what a director did. And I didn't know like what a cinema, like all those things that you didn't know. One one thing that was crazy, I watched the um, the 4K remastered, restored version, which I I had bought but I never seen. I didn't realize that he had shot the uh, the scenes in like the 50s and 60s to look so much like they were shot in the 50s and 60s. Like I never noticed yeah. it at all before. Uh, mainly because of probably all the times watching it on VHS and then I'm watching it on like, TV you know, and pan and scan. Or yeah, something like that. And I'm just like in this like color, the specifically color corrected version that was like uh, touted as like, oh, like revolution, you know, uh, uh, revolutionary or whatever. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, this like the first half of this movie looks completely different to anything I'd ever yeah. watched it before. And like. It can still feel that re- uh, revelatory in, in watching it. Like, oh, I, I've never seen it look like this, and I didn't even know he did this. Yeah, it really is. We're gonna we're gonna Chris Farley show this whole thing, but like, it's, it's such a good movie. Like, it's so good. It's so good. 
And I love that they chop that first prologue or first act off uh, yep. by having a pan-up shot of Ray Liotta looking hotter than most people have ever, will ever look or have ever looked on their Seriously. best day. Yeah. Smoking, leaning against the car. Like, Jesus. So <laughs> hot. Carrie, do you have anything, before I get into the history of this movie and the, and the, the background, do you have anything that you want to throw in here? Because this is a movie that has, like, a deep history with people, like... Like, what was the first time you watched it? Like, did you watch it? Like, I know you talked about, like, you saw it after watching, like, film school stuff. But, like, did you, have you have you seen this in any, like, unique scenarios? Or did, this is a movie you've seen more than once? Like, or is this, oh, like, yeah. just, like... Was this no, the first no, I've Scorsese seen it. that you saw? It feels like an easy first Scorsese. Was it? I'm trying to, I'm trying to actually figure that out. I don't, I don't know if it was. I watched, I know I watched Goodfellas... And Would you watch Gangs driver. of New York when that was like sweeping oh, Oscar noms? Gangs of New York, probably that actually, yes, Gangs of Gangs of New York, and then I okay, thank you, you're refreshing my memory. Um, <laughs> I yeah, I, with a couple with a couple friends in high school, we watched um, Last Temptation of Christ and uh, The Last Waltz. Weirdly, oh, okay. One um, of the greatest music documentaries of all time. Yeah, we talked like, about we talked about it a little bit during um during uh this must be yeah you must have those, been so confused by the last of me. I mean we did the Jesus Christ Superstar episode and you were learning a lot so you must have been like <laughs> did you think for like twenty years he got down off the cross and talked like that was part of it? I knew <laughs> it must have been very formative. I knew that that didn't happen, but I think because it is such a. It's such a weird interpretation of the story. It probably really worked for me. <laughs> yeah. Because I, mean, I, I went yeah. in with yeah. so little information and I wasn't attached to any of it. So I think those and then Gangs of New York, those were those were my first. Then my mem I, and I don't know if I'm remembering this right, but the way I'm remembering it is um so my uh my husband and I, the person who is now my husband. Um, we, uh, started living together our junior year in college. Um, we were not married at that time. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, he, I have a memory of seeing both Goodfellas and Taxi Driver in that apartment, um, for the first time. So I, th I think they were movies that he already knew and he was like introducing me to and both of them I loved then we got to Raging Bull, which I can't stand. Um, that's my personal <laughs> Scorsese hot take, but that's for another day. Yeah. Um, Taxi Driver. So both both Goodfellas and Taxi Driver, I've rewatched more times than I can tell you. Goodfellas is the one that has held up for me. Taxi Driver is the one where every time I watch it, I get increasingly, I, I don't dislike it, but I get increasingly yeah. uncomfortable with it in a way that is like, <laughs> this isn't fun. I don't want to spend time with these people anymore. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that's so compelling about Goodfellas that I think will kind of get into the dorm room aspect of it is that it's really fun and it's really about like, uh, un until you get to the last like 45 minutes, a lot of it is about like, wouldn't it be cool if there just weren't consequences for anything? Yeah. And I feel like that's that's what really is appealing about it when you're like 19 or 20. It's like, what if you could just do a bunch of shit 
and nothing bad happened and no one minded and it was fine and you could get away with whatever you wanted yeah. and you can coast that way for a good like nearly two hours. That That is such a great point because one of Scorsese's perspectives that he wanted to get across in this movie is he's like the movie doesn't work if you don't want to be a good fellow which again has a great correlation to Fight Club which we talked about last week. We were talking about that movie doesn't work unless – you have to you have to spend a part of that movie going, oh fuck, is this I kinda I kinda agree with what this person's saying. Like you need to kind of be in that headspace so that you can be hopefully smacked down later on when they remind you, like, oh, this guy's a not only yeah. uh, is a monster or whatever, a fascist monster. Um and same thing with like Goodfellas. Like you need to be like, Yeah, sure, they are killing quite a lot of people more than I may personally, but like seems to be just part of the culture and like they really seem like they're having a good time like you have to kind of feel like this would be exciting to some to some extent or else it doesn't work you want to be henry hill you want to you know you kind of want to stay away from joe pesci but like there's there's so many amazing scenes of like why why i like robert de niro is like i think the, the one of the secret ingredients maybe not so secret but like i think one of the things that really works is that like joe pesci's character is such a like a hothead immediately like w- one of the first scenes is the you know do i amuse you am i a clown scene am i funny well you know how am i funny and you realize like everyone knows that person in their life everyone knows the person where you have no idea like it's always some like dangerous man or something like that that like that takes a joke too far or like is threatening in a way and like um, and so everyone uses knows the cover to like get away with it, right? He uses the like, ah, oh, we were just drinking, or we were just fooling around. hundred percent. Like, no, hey, not he just was being a dickhead to me, so I was just, you know, defending myself. Yeah, like he hey, has to show yeah, some yeah, respect. I'll... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everyone knows that person, but when Robert De Niro comes in and he is like almost like as a surrogate older brother, and he's always smiling and like. You know, he's like he's like really including them and getting excited and like tempering some of Joe Pesci's words instincts. You're like, that is someone who like, oh, yeah, their their bond and their dynamic is like, that's what I would want. Like, it's like a work mentor or whatever you call it. And you feel that you feel like Ray Liotta has found someone that's not as diff- uh, distant and or as a big a figure as like Pauly. And he, it's not just a hothead, like, younger brother who's going to fuck up, fu- uh, fuck with you like a Joe Pesci. And now you have, like, here's this person. You're like, when they're having fun, when they're at the Copacabana, when they're just, you know, just laughing and playing cards on a, a night, you're like, God, that would be a fun way great. to spend my – Yeah, you yeah. have to feel that way. And not yeah. just, like, not just, like, in your head, but, like, viscerally, like – this would be a fun thing to be doing right now or else it doesn't work because the whole point of the movie is like how excited and that's Henry Hill's story. He loved it. He loved being a mobster. This isn't someone who like regretted his uh, the the activities that he did or that he went down the wrong path and he's making atonement. He got out what he had to get out and he sold everyone down the river so that he didn't suffer consequences. His whole book is based on, I would love to keep doing that. And if you're telling his story, you need the audience to go, yep. I would love to do that. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I'd love to, I love to sort of take that and kind of go backwards in time. So sure. um, first uh, this movie casino Wolf of Wall Street, not so much The Departed, but um, <laughs> those three movies um, very much feel like the work of a Catholic. 
and uh, Mar- was Marty was going. Marty was going to be a priest, a Catholic priest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Marty was going to be a Catholic priest at one point. Um, and uh, these movies very cocaine much got in the way. That's where he cocaine got in the way. That's <laughs> true too. That's where he yeah, and Riella have maybe something common. <laughs> and the the Catholic thing really like sits with me when I watch these movies, especially Wolf of Wall Street, because the idea is that there's these f- forbidden fruits. And this, like, idea of temptation is, like, the first act of all these movies. This idea of, like, wouldn't you just want to fucking just do this? Wouldn't you just want to give in to all your animal instincts and just go, go, go? And then almost, like, there's this, like, cosmic force sitting over your head. It's like, well, you had a good time, so it's time for the fucking <laughs> good times to stop. Um, you yeah. had your good time. And, 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 and in, in this movie, in... Casino in particular, it's like there's like a uh, like a god hanging over the characters' heads, ready to just stamp them out when the time comes, right? Because they're just like operating just without, like you were saying, without impunity. In Wolf of Wall Street, it, it operates a little bit longer. So there's this moment where like the all the parties and the sex workers and the blow stops being fun, but they're still doing it because that's the lifestyle. Right. This movie has a little bit of that, but Wolf of Wall Street really revels in that in a way that I think bothers people. Um, Marty, I think, is really like digesting parts of like being like this Catholic guilt complex in these movies. And he said when he was when he discovered the book uh, Wise Guys by Nick Pileggi, he said that he didn't want to do a gangster picture but he was reading this yeah. and the way that Nicholas Pileggi sort of took Henry Hill's very unique voice, his, his way of speaking, his sort of fast talking Brooklyn guy kind of voice and commuted it into this like just wild story that hops around time and like is, you know, you turn a page and suddenly a guy you've been following for a hundred pages is dead. Like that sort of like go, go, go kind of energy. He wanted to adapt it. So he literally just called up Nicholas Pileggi and he was like, I want to adapt your book. They worked together on a screenplay. Really quickly here, just to nestle this idea in here, because we should definitely come back to it. Nicholas Pileggi contends that because Henry Hill was told that if he lied at any point in the stand, that he would get bumped, uh, he would get dropped and that he'd be a dead man, right? That Henry Hill told the absolute truth to me he told me all the truth he's the most reliable narrator i've never seen a narrator <laughs> so reliable because because henry hill it's very funny in interviews when you watch with nicholas pledgy because he still kind of contends this he's like henry hill like you know he's he's so reliable uh because he would have died if he lied on the stand right and then three years later or not three years later uh, a few years later uh henry hill released a book where he was like a bunch of the shit i told nick Pledgy was a lie here's the real story <laughs> like a gangster would do yeah and he yeah. also kept getting arrested like yeah i did right. not realize how much he kept doing mob shit until he was finally kicked out he, they gave him a free pass he was like selling guns and cocaine uh like fucking steve martin in my blue they didn't want yeah they didn't want to to if they if they blew him up like that could maybe get like yeah they could maybe get like um some of these guys like paul vario and stuff out of prison um jimmy burke um we'll get into all those people in a moment but when you're watching this movie it's kind of obvious that like it's they changed some of the names they changed some of the events um but 
Henry Hill is like, this movie, and in one of the interviews, it's very funny. He's like, this movie is, I would say, 90% close to reality. Sorry, 99% close to reality. <laughs> <laughs> he's such a, like, a Brooklyn fast-talking asshole, right? He's just like, he's like, uh, no, actually, uh, that sounded bad. Uh, 99 is the, what the truth is. So that's, that's you know, that's how the, the, the these two guys got together, started co-writing the screenplay. They worked on it for a long time. I think it was like 11 drafts. So they must like each other, right? Yeah, because they, uh, they, he started it um, before Last Temptation for Christ. He was going to do it after Color of Money. And then he, he'd been trying to make The Last Temptation of Christ for a long time. And the financing somehow came in. So he was like, I need to make this and put Goodfellas on the back burner or Wise Guys at yeah. the time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was called Wise Guys. It was eventually called Goodfellas. It's part of the story uh, as well. Um, so taking another step back, a lot of the story here is true if you trust Henry Hill's accounts and various informants and, and, and such. Nicholas, Nicholas Pledgy or Nick Pledgy is not like a complete fucking like rube. Um, it's just it's in his best interest for him to pretend like these stories are true. Yeah. Um, but the story, the script, eventually they started changing names and stuff just to keep stuff straight. Most of the characters, like the main, the broad details are the same. Their first names are the same, very often changed. Um, Paul Cicero was actually in real life a guy named Paul Vario. Jimmy Conway, which is Robert Nero's character, was actually a guy named Jimmy the, Jimmy the Gent Burke. Tommy, was Tommy De, uh, DeSimone, like, is a slight, slight name change for a lot of these guys. A lot of the story... The funny thing is a lot of the story seems to be true and verifiable, like the Lufthansa heist, yeah. like the Lufthansa heist, the um, the Air America uh, bust, like the um, killing a made guy, like that that was an actual Tom, thing. Tommy's Billy disappearance ba- and presumed dead instead of like all that stuff seems, uh, yeah. It, all it the does- broad details are, seem to be verifiable to some degree the funny thing is like they sometimes collapsed characters or they like like uh apparently from like some of the other details one of the reasons that that tommy was was whacked um was he killed multiple made men yeah multiple capos um that makes sense which is (laughs) which is nuts yeah um shouldn't do that you i mean if anyone should have known that he should have because he was in the mob yeah. Like, I know that, and I'm just a lay person. <laughs> Goodfellas. I've seen Goodfellas. Can I tell you? Hold on, I want to tell you my favorite production note that I found on this. Um, so they did a lot of different like casting, and apparently, like everyone, ha- because they're playing real life people, there was a big challenge to get into the role. So there's like, when I was reading this, the article or this article was talking about how uh, this is the way it, it frames it. I'm going to summarize it, but it's it's very funny the way it. Uh, so Nero. Uh, consulted uh, consulted with various people, wanted to uh, have a sit-down with Burke, wanted to watch videos of like how he walked, how he held a cigarette, had diff- would just spend hours and hours listening to FBI audio cassette tapes of, of Jimmy Burke and trying to understand how he talks, how he moves, how his character. Uh, Lorraine Bracco tried to get close to mob wives, had trouble with that. She was really, she was debating whether to meet her real, the real life Karen. She was really working to try to really get into this character, understanding the importance of portraying a real person. Uh, Paul Sorvino had no problem finding the voice of his character. That is the note. <laughs> okay. 
which is funny. I watched an interview. Like it's right after you have two people who are like they really tried hard. I just I just and they have a they have a link for it that apparently he said he had no issue whatsoever. But but I, I think And that he is will the, not elaborate on why that is. No. <laughs> so I, okay, I, I had no problem. Oh, I had to play a mob boss? I had no problem doing that. I'm just but here's the funny thing. I watched an interview with him yesterday, yeah. and he goes in this elaborate detail about how it was hard for him to play a villain. And then I read that same thing that you were talking about. It was like, yeah, no problem. I think he just later made the story shorter, so he didn't have to go into it. But I, like, whoever, he, whoever edited that, that Wikipedia article is a genius. That's all yeah. I'll say. Like, that is, like, that is a perfect... That is the rule of three it's in comedy. Writing. This guy did yeah. this, 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 this. This guy had no problem. And it's, yeah, of course, it's, it's, it's Paul Servino. And it's, it's very like believable. A, like, yeah. A, yeah. I, I can see that he wouldn't. But uh, the thing is, I watched... I, I didn't even know I, I was playing a real-life character. They just told in, me to talk like Paul Servino. But his his real-life voice is not that. Like, his real-life voice is, like, is like this, like... Like, it's more hoity-toity theater actor kind of guy. And it's, like, so... You know, like, why he's, like, a... They're, like, a Hollywood family. But yeah. it is so funny in the article. Just be like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> reminds me of in... Uh, it reminds me of in uh, uh, Irishman, the joke that they just set up for, like, hours. Where it's, like, they, they flashed up all these people and, like... This guy got shot in the teeth by a. <laughs> this guy got shot in the teeth by a shotgun. This guy got choked out by his own mom. Whatever. It's like horrible ends for all these people. And then, um, and then they just show. Uh, they just show a random guy, and they're like, "Beloved by all, died peacefully in his sleep." <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's great. Joke. It's like a joke, like three it's hours perfect. in the making. Yeah. Oh, it's glorious. Yeah, in in some ways, Casino, he was trying to technically outdo himself, and Michael Ballhaus and Thelma Schoonmaker were trying to outdo themselves. Like, the Thelma's editing on this movie is the movie. Like, yeah. you can't talk Absolutely. about this movie without talking about yeah. Thelma. Yeah. She's, she's, without a doubt, like, the reason this movie works. There's not a single moment that goes on too long. There's actually a lot of moments where you're like, oh, tell me more, you fucking asshole. I want to know more. <laughs> But yeah, the, the but yeah, basically the story of the the background on this is pretty interesting because like you're reading these stories and you're like, yeah, they changed a couple details. Apparently, Jimmy uh, Jimmy Burke had a son that participated in the Lufthansa heist. Obviously, he didn't whack him. Um, like that's kind of an interesting story because in the movie it's cleaner to have like Tommy, Tommy and Henry be like his sons. Yeah, um, right. And you know the guy with the big poofy hair who ends up in the meat locker. Yep. Yeah. Um, apparently he was, like, also kind of in the mix there as, like, uh, uh, one of, uh, an apprentice to Jimmy. Um, so, That like, makes sense that, because he, he, pops up, he pops up in a lot of scenes where you wouldn't necessarily expect him to. And, it, like, yeah. he's not flushed out in the same way, but I kind of got the sense, like, oh, okay, you are more inner circle than a lot of these other people. Yeah, he's, yeah. like, driving the car, like, when they kill yeah. the... the Suit f- guy or whatever the wig yeah. guy, Maury, Maury, yeah, Maury, Maury the wig guy, yeah, yeah. And they he he's there when they kill Jimmy Stacks. Um, they kill uh, Samuel Jackson's character. Oh um, yeah, he's part of the he's part of the joke where they um he's part of the joke where he's like he's like yeah take the coffee to go and he's like taking the percolator <laughs> with him and he's like I was fucking kidding, I was fucking kidding. It's a great Put moment. it down. It's yeah, so good. So good. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> Another, that's a, a, a Thelma touch that is, like, so showy, and I love it. You don't see Stax really, you, you see yeah. Stax die, he, his his brains get sprayed, yeah. sprayed all over the mattress, but you don't really see Tommy doing it, because it's part of the drama of the scene, it's a tight little apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, 
after they've left the apartment, Henry has more to say about the fact that they killed, uh, they killed Stax. And so they just show the killing in slow-mo from a front angle after. And like, that's, that's Thelma genius right there. Like just, it's really well done. Really dwell on the fact that like this guy made it, made a tactical error during the Lufthansa heist. And Jimmy was like, he's dead. Shoot him, shoot him in his own house. Go. The the thing that always gets me about these movies, they really don't seem all that focused on like fi- hiding bodies many times. Like a kid, like they seem more focused on hiding bodies from like the mob, each the other. other people in the mob. Yeah. yeah, like but not the cops or or anything like that. Which which which. I, Carrie, I think it's to your point around like, what if you could do anything? Because the the police are almost like a, com- a complete non-factor. Even when they get when they do get arrested, it's like in you know Florida jurisdiction, like away from all of their people that they're bribing, and then they go to to jail that looks like a very cozy cottage and makes them you know they literally are like <laughs> they can't just have the whiskey and the scotch; they need both the red and the white wine to start and the prosciutto the mozzarella they need all of it they're operating in a plane that is separate from where the police can do any real damage to them which is why when the actual consequences come you're like oh okay i guess this can happen sometimes but you have gotten lulled into this idea of like oh there aren't really going to be serious consequences things are going to keep happening and it's going to keep being fun which and, is kind of the story they so tell right, themselves, that's right? The... That they've carved out a society within a society. Like, that's the way that Henry frames it at the beginning. Like, where he's like, simplifies what the mafia and what a mob boss and what these people do. is like, you know, these people weren't protected because of immigration status, because of racism, because of police being terrible. These people couldn't find protection within the guardrails that the country had set up for them. And so... They created their own society within a society. It was still capitalist. It was still, like, all these other things. But, like, this movie does a really good job of uh, insulating you into that society in a way that, like, you know, the outside seemingly doesn't exist um, until until it exists, like, from above and then all-encompassingly. Um, and that's, that is very different than other mafia movies, too. Like, the idea of the police or you know, crime or, like, wiretaps feels so, like, omnipresent. Like, obviously, Sopranos is working in a different medium, but I think that's the other, like, main cultural touchstone of, like, you know, there, there's there's FBI constantly present throughout that show, and it felt like, here's here's how they're staying one one step ahead of the, 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 the police or the FBI or NSA or whoever else is trying to catch him in a given. And here they really are, like, saying what he said, like, the people that you needed that you were scared of were other people within the mafia and like the outside world just doesn't doesn't exist. And like when they pull Karen into that world, she, her perspective when she shares that part of her story is what it's like to get sucked out of basically out of the United States and into, you know, little goodfellas because they, you know, she has all new friends. No one else comes into their circle. She has a different plane of morality that she starts to operate under and like we basically barely see her parents or other friends or anyone else and that's how she describes it like i'm just now in a different world i think one of the 
you got, I could be wrong on this. I think one of the um, little great little minor touches is that you don't. I don't think you see her parents at the wedding. Like even that giant or his with, parents. Well, you kind of get the sense that he is. He he has. Yeah, you're right. He's he's gone away from his parents, but she's his still family saying, is the family. Yeah, but she's still saying that like one of her big reasons to not want to go into witness protection is that like she wants to still be in her parents' life. So that's clearly occurring, but you never see it, even in like this moment that you think they would be there. You see yeah. both of their parents at like in in like the couple shots of the actual wedding ceremony. You see both of their like they pan yeah. from her family to his family but and is his parents. Right? But then at, at the, the reception, reception it's yeah. only mob people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Maria. And, the, yeah. and then you kinda I was finding myself wondering like did she stop speaking to her parents and then you see the mom in the car when they pick him up from prison and i'm yeah. like oh she is still talking to her parents wow yeah. like yeah. when and, and, when's that happening and, and not to take us back too far but like you were both talking about like that there feels like there's no rules in this world right and yeah. that like you know cops barely show up and then they do show up they're mostly just a a, a, a flyer and annoyance or like all right i guess they're in on the take they got to get their cut too i've gotten away with enough stuff i guess i have to go live at the jail for a while um and uh yeah like the one rule that they set out early in the movie is like you can't kill capos you can't kill no. made men they set up this rule early on. They show these guys just flagrantly doing whatever the fuck they want. And uh, then when the time comes, when Tommy gets whacked, um, it comes as a shock because you have somehow in your head forgotten the one rule that they told you. Like, the one rule, like, they they don't tell you pay attention to the rule, like, don't talk on the phone. Like, they don't pay attention to a lot of the rules. But the one rule is, is don't kill a made man. And the only time they're concerned about getting rid of bodies is, is right, when you say it's it's for... Yeah, they for literally move the body because they're worried that someone might... Like, who would know? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and and eventually, what comes back for Henry is that he violated the no drugs rule from, yeah. from Paul Cicero. The movie is kind of flanked that, like, these guys get to do whatever they want. Um, they get to... But they just have to follow these set rules. And then in between there... There's just a bunch of wanton violence that happens because people got paranoid and scared. Um, or people got angry and they get away with it. Spider is like the classical example. Yeah. You know, apparently that actually happened, by the way, almost exactly the same way that it happened. In oh, God. That there was a young guy who was sort of a young, like Henry Hill kind of guy, like a young guy who was playing bartender and kind of like working up to get trusted to do real jobs for them right and then um and then uh he was didn't like that tommy didn't like that spider forgot his drink and then shot him apparently shot him in the thigh and not the foot in real life and then when he came back later and he was like you know limping um tommy made fun of him and the guy told him spider told him fuck off and then tommy pulled out a gun and shot him and apparently like jimmy was egging him on and he was like no you gotta bury him on your own that's your punishment yeah. like at the end of the day, the reason I'm jumping to that story is like at the end of the day, he's like, "Oh, your punishment tonight? You're work. gonna go find a shovel and you're digging a hole all night. You were you were gonna go home or you're gonna go see your girl or whatever, but tonight you're digging a hole. Like that's that's your punishment. I hope you learn from it." Well, the kind of like the 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 scene that explicitly states this is so when they do the intervention on Henry, who has 
who has left his the house with Karen because of a fight, and Karen's been going around and talking to everyone, and they, Jimmy and Paul come to come to his girlfriend's apartment and is like where he's staying. Like it's kind of a funny scene because you know they're not the most verbal at their intervention or whatever they're doing. It's just a lot of like, what are you going to do? What are you going to, you know, which yeah. is, which is funny for like an intervention type situation, but they're very explicit. Like there's a um, direct line that Jimmy or Robert De Niro's character says where he's like, no one's telling you, you can't do whatever you want to do. You can do whatever you want to do. And like that it's, you know, they're worried because that they're worried that Karen is going to go call the cops or, um, or whatever else is going on because she's just kind of becoming so frustrated that she's willing to go to Polly and, and complain about, you know, which is obviously like not the right order of operations. And so they're like, hey, if she's going to like the boss to complain about you and to ask me to do something, who knows who she's going to go to next to, to prove a point. But that line that De Niro says is like, nobody's going to tell you you can't do whatever you want to do. Like, they, yeah. they like that that but divorce is not an option yeah divorce is not an option you can do whatever you want to do like you just need to do it in a way that doesn't cause problems for us yeah. or or our business or anything like that but like you know they weren't coming to say like go back to your wife figure out your family we care about you we care about your marriage no like you, you that is our whole thing you do whatever you want to do but there cannot be blowback on it. So it's, kinda, the- it's kind of foreshadowed slightly earlier when when that girlfriend is first introduced when they talk about like you know these are the nights that we took the wives out these are the nights that we took the mit- the mistresses out as if to say like yes everyone has side girls but there is a structure to it and you stay within the structure and now that you are deviating from the structure and you're with her all the time no 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 this is going to get messy and this is going to blow back on everyone's face. Yeah. And I, I and I, I think like the the like, yeah, the Saturdays are for the wives and Fridays are for the girlfriends kind of thing. And the fact that Henry's never home reminds me of the fact that like they're married. Karen's parents uh, push them to move in with them for a little bit while they're trying to find a permanent place. And uh, it's not going well early in the marriage, but Karen's very defensive of him because like she's still got quite a bit of patience for him. I mean, if and- you're in the mob, I wouldn't have agreed to that. Probably not. Not a good idea. <laughs> just, just get your own place. Like, yeah, and yeah. his reaction to getting yelled at by those parents is just, just laughing and getting back in the car because there's no, there's not even like yeah. rules of politeness. He doesn't need to treat these people like people. <laughs> yeah. Um, Carrie, I was, I was kind of interested, like watching this time. Like, I, I was kind of interested in the whole, the fact that like <laughs> Henry lies about being half Jewish to like impress his, his future in laws. I like forgot about that entirely. It's- uh, just the good half. It feels like, I mean, there's two things. That's his worst crime. (laughs) There's two things going on in that scene. There's the 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 type of like you know Jewish mentality that like you can't you can't marry outside of the culture, right? Mm -hmm. Like you know, every whoever you're dating, even if they're not practicing, they have to be like somewhat connected to Judaism, and that's like you know, there's. Plenty of people that would say like, oh, yeah, you know, he's half Jewish to just like get the parents or the grandparents to calm down. But also, I feel like it's kind of a joke about how like Jews and Italians are like the same. And like they (laughs) they assimilate so well into each other's lives because like, yeah, they're 
their their backgrounds are more similar than they seem. Like they're not, mm. but they are. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's easy it's easy to make the 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 you know translation there. And so there's fine occasionally lines. And there's occasionally I lines it's drawn funny. between. It, it's so funny. It's so funny. <laughs> but there's occasionally lines drawn. Like for instance, the thing that I was like joking with you guys about, like how Jimmy can't become a capo ever, even though like he basically yeah. is because he. Um, he's Irish and you have to be able to trace your, oh, and, and Henry can't either. You yeah. have to trace your ancestry back to Italy, whatever. And there's that line, which is obviously an offensive line, but I have to say it in order to get the context. And, uh, Tommy is complaining about how his Jew, this, this Jewish woman that he wants to go out with won't go out with him alone. He needs Henry to go on the date with, with Karen to, to come with, to make it a double date. And he says this line that makes me laugh every time. He says, in this day and age, like he's saying, like... We should be tolerant. Like in this day and age, can you believe it? A Jew broad prejudiced against Italians. Yeah, yeah, it's a great. Line. <laughs> like he's like he's like, can you believe it? She's being prejudiced against me. <laughs> and you're like, you called her a Jew broad. Like well, this is well, and, he, and he has much more explicit racism against like black people yeah. as well. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this the is, point is like they this draw is these 1960 lines. What right? Like it's like yeah. that's still the 60s. Like that's yeah. whole. You know. I feel like that's the era of like all of these different groups assimilating yeah. and yes. trying to figure out, you know, well, where do I fit into whiteness? Where do you fit into whiteness? Yeah. And like Jews and Italians at that moment were in like both like weirdly parallel but mm-hmm. not identical positions, yeah. but not knowing like how it was going to fall. So it's like, yeah. yeah, it's like a weird like you're all white but you're not and you're trying to figure out like who is higher than the other. And, and, and well, I mean, Irish that was in 1960 just... was Kennedy, right? Where they're right. like, could, an Irish Catholic. Yeah. We need good yeah. white people. Yeah, so there's exactly. These, these, yeah. these non-white white people. He's not people, white. Yeah. These yeah. non-white white non-white people. Non-white Christian. That, like, yeah. Yeah. That, um, that, 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 still had these these boundaries to draw within each other and figure out what the place is in, in these specific power structures. But the and the movie is, is very interested in that. But the the Jewish and Italian thing in this movie is so fascinating. Because yeah, they're willing to date each other, like they're willing to they're willing to like uh you know kinda like skirt the like wink wink rules uh to date each other and marry each other and, and it's all respectable, right? You just have to play by the, the typical rules according. Uh, but like, okay, but you know, you, you, everybody should know their place, right? Like, um, everybody tries, is, is still like knuckling for extra positions higher. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a scene where, where, uh, that where Billy Bats is insulting one end of the bar right before he gets murdered. And he's like, uh, send, send drinks down to the, the Irish fellas down there. And Jimmy to like soak the brunt. He's like, I'm the only Irish guy here. Like he's kind of telling him, like, don't right. don't call Tommy Irish. Like yeah. he'll get really offended. Tommy is Tommy is Italian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we we've talked so much already, but I think it's time. Are you ready to talk about Goodfellas even more? Oh, yes, yeah. let's do it. <laughs> I know I'd go from rags to riches If you would only say you care And though my pocket may be empty I'd be a millionaire 
start? Can I actually start? I completely missed this in the first the first half. Um, I have a, before uh, we start talking about the plot, or t- before we start going back into the podcast, we're we're, get, we're talking about Goodfellas. <clears throat> are we in the? Oh, we're it's in the tiny an, tiny anecdote. Okay, my favorite time I've ever watched Goodfellas, and I've seen it in theaters, by the way. Like I've seen it in like a beautiful screen, like all that. My favorite time I ever watched Goodfellas was um, I was living with my brother um, in Brooklyn in 2011 or so. <clears throat> and I had a, I had a, like a summer internship in New York, so I lived with him in like Ballroom Hill, Cobble Hill area. Uh, it was like a Friday, and both of it was so hot that like by the time both of us got home, we were like we're staying in tonight. Like he's like I he, I was like I picked up beer, and he was like I picked up popsicles. The only room in the house that had anything resembling AC was the ba- the bedroom, his mm-hmm. bedroom, and his bedroom had a window unit, and he had a tiny TV that was like this big. <laughs> And so, oh, it was one of those those Brooklyn setups where like the bed is just like tucked between the walls. Like there's very there's like six inches on one side and zero inches on the other side. And so him and I crawled into his bed, cranked up the AC and ate popsicles in bed and watched Goodfellas. And then we would pause to be like, okay, we gotta find what corner that is on a map. And then the next day we would go and find random areas that they shot in Goodfellas. Yes. And that's my favorite time I've ever watched the movie. The sound quality was tinny and shitty. It was on a tiny TV. We could barely hear it over the AC. We had to turn both of them up very loud. <laughs> we were eating popsicles in bed. Uh, it was just, you know, it's living life. Do you watch that's, stuff that's with the captions time. on? <laughs> honestly, honestly, I just think we, like, cranked it so loud that, like, Jimmy started to sound like a robot. Because the, the shitty little TV was, like... was breaking. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. <laughs> like, especially, remember how bad the speakers were on those little TVs back in the oh, day? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not good. I, Not good. I, I had one that just had, like, a little speaker in the front. Like, it was, like, a shitty mm-hmm. Curtis Mathis Kmart TV, and it was, like... <laughs> Couldn't really use it. Uh, I have a confession. As long as as Scorsese's Catholicism, uh, it took me a while. I uh, I loved uh, Lorena Bracco. I loved Robert De Niro. I loved Joe Pesci. I thought uh, Ray Liotta was bad. I thought he was not good in this movie. I did not. I did not like him the first time. I I I came to love Ray Liotta as an actor and love him in this movie. But I thought he was just a very obvious weak link compared to the other three. And like. When I saw Casino, a lot of it was like, oh, yeah, like, you know, uh, obviously it's uh, swapping out Sharon Stone for uh, Lorraine Bracco, but, um, you know, felt like, oh, yeah, get rid of the Ray Liotta part of this because it doesn't, it didn't work that well. And I think part of it is like, but like, there's this, when he, like, something about his laugh, I think, like, it, some of it seems so fake, like the, in a way that felt like it was bad acting. And I don't think it's that anymore. Like the scene where. No, I think it's, it's definitely intentional. Yeah, Jimmy does it too. Um, everybody has that like. <laughs> yeah, it's very yeah. Exaggerated, but it's it's, it's a the clear dude, it's, choice. It's the yeah. dude laugh. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's that's what I'm. Uh, that's what I'm kind of getting to. That like I like the the scene where he's like laughing with Joe Pesci, and he has that like kind of very exaggerated. Like it was like, oh, is he not a good actor? Is he overacting? Is he something like that? And like, yeah, as I got older and as I watched this movie more and more times, and I you know came to appreciate his performance. Uh, quite a lot he was portraying someone that was trying to fit in and he was coming you're seeing him enter this world right like everyone else that we meet is already established in the world even tommy who's young and stealing cigarettes and is like looks like he's played by rob thomas of, of matchbox 20 for like that first couple scenes there 
But um, he, you know, they're they're all comfortable in the world, and he's coming as an outsider and a helper, and like that kind of like, am I kind of a fraud? And I need to. He's mimicking them. Like he has a more exa- exaggerated laugh than like De Niro and Pesci, who still have their like, I'm a guy, mobster guy, like exaggerated. Like we we have to laugh whether it's funny or not because people will pull a gun if we tell someone a joke isn't funny but he has to go one step above because they are like that's second nature to them and it's he's he's doing that and so i've i would leading that into like how much i've come to appreciate ray Liotta's performance because like you know he is he is surrounded by a lot of heavy hitters in this and he wasn't in like you know he didn't continue to be in scorsese movies like other people or continue to be in a lot of mob stuff like you know brocco and sopranos or something like that but um you know, I think – and he wasn't nominated for, like, awards. All the awards were going to other people for these movies. And I – but but you realize, like, what a – A, what a challenging role it is to be opposite all those people and how it is easy to get passed over. But what's – the choices that he's making are just really, really good. And he is supposed to be kind of an annoying little I'm trying hard to be around you, which is where what happens with Spider, right? Like, and other people, like, he kind of almost got lucky that he was accepted through that because there are so many times when we see other people try to get close or try to, uh, you know, Morty or any of those other people, like, they get pushed back. And he got kind of pulled in in a way that's different than a lot of the other you know, people who are trying to in, endear themselves to, like, the leaders of this group. I think that's part yeah, of what yeah. makes it so relatable. Yeah. It's like, yeah. he's the entry point, you know, most of the people watching this movie are not, you know, you, you, you're watching this and you're like, oh, it would be really cool to get to go to these parties. It would be really cool to get to hang out with these people. You're not actually doing that. But if you were you would be him you would be yeah. the person being like okay if i it, how how would i try to fit in with this group of people how would i try to like perform masculinity in this particular way and it's it's gonna come off as either false or overstylized or something at least yeah. initially as you're like finding your ground and i think his performance becomes a lot more natural as the movie goes on, as he's developing his own comfort and he's finding his way. Yeah. And uh, I feel like that's really believable. Yeah. 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 It, 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 um, I, I love, I love this performance. I, I, I've always like just been very attached to this guy who's our entry point into this world. Right. Because that's exactly what, that's exactly what Scorsese, like we were talking about earlier, that's exactly what Scorsese wants. He wants us to see this guy, see him as a little kid, and understand, like, this kid with, like, limited options and, like, limited um, uh, economic availability, right? Um, is all of a sudden welcome to this world that's, like, glamorous and cool and, like, occasionally people get shot or stabbed, but, eh, you know, like, it's just, that's just the cost, right? That's the cost of nice shoes. Um, and like, I think this movie doesn't quite work without somebody like Ray Liotta in the lead. You can't have a true cipher. You need to have someone that's actually performing masculinity as, as Carrie just said, like performing masculinity and, and playing into these, these tropes because like he is inherently an outsider. He's not, he's never going to be a made man. He's not a full blooded Italian. He is someone who 
sticks around because he's useful to the family. He's a, he's an earner. He goes out and earns. He gets the money. And he buddies up with somebody who also worked his way into the circle, even though he wasn't full-blooded Italian, Jimmy. Jimmy is an earner. Jimmy, Jimmy, if somebody says, Jimmy, you got to go kill this guy, Jimmy doesn't bat an eye. He says where and when. Um, and how much does do you want it to hurt? He he's his his um the apprentice. He's the apprentice in this situation. And Jimmy, you can see Jimmy even in scenes. Even if someone is like you know, think of someone as confident as Robert De Niro in these kind of movies. Like there's scenes with Jimmy doing like the performative laughter, the performative scenes. Him do him treating Polly like a god and like kind of putting his head down a little bit yeah. and when he's making eye contact with him and like looking to Polly as he's saying things like the the internalized the internalized like um performance of masculinity a but knowing your goddamn place like we were talking about before the the jump um is is there because as Carrie also said like you could see like as the movie goes on and he starts to build his own drug business, he's, you start to see more of the side of him being like, I'm my own man. I basically just have to perform this role when I'm around Polly or some of the old crew. Um, I gotta, I gotta, you know, act like, you know, my hands are clean and my nose is clean around them. But no, and it's funny that when they're in prison, like they're in prison together, all sharing that big cell that like, he thinks he's being sneaky by selling drugs under Polly's nose. And Polly's like, I know you were selling drugs when we were in prison together, but that was in prison. All right. It's a different he's thing. Like, he's like, Polly, I would never like, no, you weren't. <laughs> like, don't treat me like a jerk. <laughs> yeah. That was the last thing I want to say. It's just like the, that like him being like, I was, you know, I was perfect. I had a perfect system. And, and then Polly's like, I've got my fucking eye on you, man. I, I think, a, I think a, an interesting contrast to like the, performativity of Ray Liotta in the early scenes is the 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 like beauty scene when uh Lorraine Bracco is like with all the wives for the first time and she is just like who are these people I don't have anything to say to them I don't particularly want to have anything to say to them like I hate yeah, they, listening they hate to how they, they talk their about kids. their lives. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. she's wearing just too much like makeup to cover up bruises. Yeah, like and she just seems like she's she's like a total wallflower in that situation, and she's doing fine. Like no one thinks anything of it. She's she becomes extremely accepted in this world, but like that's moment of like, oh okay, you probably are not gonna bond in the same way that he is with the guys because you're just like. I don't want. I don't want to be a part of whatever this is. Yeah. That is such a but good funny call. enough. Yeah, because funny she, enough later later in the movie she says uh, when uh, Henry's in jail she's like nope none of the women talk to me everyone shuts me out that's no right me. that's like, right she has she's grown attached to it even this like toxic little social circle of abused women that abuse each other yeah like. But when she's in crisis, she's always going to the she's always going to the guys. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Th- that mm-hmm. almost seems like a throwaway. Like this is how bad it's gotten. Because you actually, you know, I, I, not really. You don't. She doesn't have 
she doesn't glom on to that world, right? Like, she, you don't see her, like, her, the friend we see in later scene is the babysitter who's smuggling drugs and it's just around a lot. But, like, right. she doesn't, she doesn't become, like, good friends with Jimmy's wife and Jimmy's wife is over all the time or something like that. Like, they don't, they don't have those moments. And, Carrie, that's such a, that's such a great point because, like, we're hearing Henry say how much he loves this world and loves every, like literally every bit of it. I love this and I love this and I love this. And, you know, there's like a scenes where in voiceovers where he's just listing, like you can do this and you can do this and it's all great. And like, after the initial, like, look at all these money envelopes I'm getting from thing. And she, you know, uh, she starts, Karen starts living within the life. She's like, I hate this and I hate this and I don't want this for my life. I don't want yeah. this for my life. And like, she's, she's rejecting the, the connection to the universe. Like she's not necessarily rejecting like the, the, the money and the husband and the, 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 the house and dr- eventually the drugs and stuff like that. But she is like, I, you know, her, if, if the movie started with her narration, it would be uh, ever since I knew what gangsters were, I didn't want to really be them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. She, she, she likes the clothes and she likes the jewelry, but the whole part of like, oh, you have to like say horrible things about your kids. It's like, yeah, yeah. This, this sounds they beat depressing. their kids with brooms and shit. Yeah. 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 Um, I, 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 I think it's very interesting when uh, Aaron, not to full, not to disagree with you because I agree with the overall point, but like there's a moment when she says like, oh, when we would go to Hawaii, Jimmy and his wife would come with us. Like there's this weird thing where like she doesn't yeah, have right. a social circle. So her husband's social her, yeah. circle fills in, but she isn't particularly attached to anyone. That's but, what I mean. And, and, like, yeah, exactly. I think you're agreeing with me. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I am very definitely. important for um, us to continue. But it's just, it's just funny. Like they're not her friends, but they do go to Hawaii together. Like it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting um, as a dynamic because this movie is trying to take apart the gangster mythos piece by piece. First, we already talked a lot about it. They got to make it look sexy and cool, which I'll get to in a second because there's parts where the sexy cool thing it just absolutely does not land. Also, it's it's talking about how shitty it is to be a mob wife. Like you just take the the clearly c- clearly Marty was like looking at the story and he was like, this woman had a miserable existence every yeah. year of her life, and maybe it got better when she left Henry, but like who knows? Like poor lady, this poor lady. Um, what well, and also things- really quickly on that though, it's like it's how isolating it is, right? Because mm-hmm. like. She's saying like I was brought into another world, and like her connection to she 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 doesn't um, thrive within that that world, right? She she her connection to it is, is is strictly her husband, who she loves, Henry, and Henry because he is uh, you know not a faithful husband, and like you know that's kind of like what's driving her, like that it's almost like a a form of like kidnapping. <laughs> Right, like she's he sucked her into this world. You have you can't be friends with your old friends. They could find out what they do. Like she says, like I'm not friends with my old friends. I didn't bring them into this world. So she he's like you know initially of her own free will, like grabbed her in here, and then he leaves. He's gone for days at a time. He's sleeping over at his girlfriend's house. If she tries to talk to him about it, you know he's it's met with like you know violent words and violent actions and like punishment for for discussing it like she is she is essentially like a prisoner in the world that's been created for her as well and so like Mm -hmm. you know of course like when he goes to prison that's his her only real tether 
to her existence anymore. The fact that that no one no one is talking to her, which which he's the one who's having this kind of great prison experience, and then also like, yeah, that's part of it. Everyone will ignore you. You just have to deal with that. Like, you know, it's again, like it's it's he's, she's been locked in the basement, and then the key's gone, and the guy who mm-hmm. has the key is dead, and now she's just like, what do I do? Yeah, within this this jail that you've created for me. Yeah, and I I love so while we're talking about like you know kind of like the 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 lifestyle getting kind we're not of even gonna bother apart. to go through the plot we're just gonna talk more about it if, no go watch goodfellas if, if you're you listening yeah. you've probably seen it yeah. and, and yeah. if you haven't what are you doing not just listening to this podcast but like <laughs> do you yeah, like movies in, in your life <laughs> yeah like why are you listening to a movie podcast about goodfellas yeah. um the, one of my favorite details about this and i'm i, I assume it's intentional but the when they show janice's apartment and they're doing the <clears throat> sweeping Copacabana bamboo room kind of shots where it's like the the beautiful shot where in first person you're walk you're being welcomed into the life, right? You go through a secret entrance and you talk to a guy, you slip a number of 20s to, and then a, a table gets put down just for you. And then a little bit later you see the, the mistress's, Janice's apartment. And in <laughs> Janice's apartment so fucking funny because it's like fancy for like 1963 or whatever but like it looks like any grandma's house just I know. less banged yeah. up yeah. it looks like it looks like grandma's house but like if all the furniture was like held in place as opposed to getting banged up by by kids and like you know the dust is collecting and like all that like it in all all the clothes are like pretty ugly like most of the clothes in the movie are, pr- are pretty ugly have not aged well like this is not this well, is almost even... like a movie that before mid-century modern furniture and, and stuff like that became like so chic it's yeah. reminding you in a way that what you're seeing is like selected elements of mid-century modern furniture that's really cool and neat and has like cool angles and lines and nice geometry and the sh- i have i have shit in my house that's that right um but like a lot of what was in people's houses is what's in your goddamn grandma's house, which is these like hideous mirrors and weird metal sculptures well, on the even, wall. Like, even they're yeah. like when they get there, like showing off their richness after they, you know, he's out of jail and they're doing the full Pittsburgh connection drug dealing, and you know they're touring the like look at these paintings, look the the rock wall disappears. When you see the kitchen of that house, it. Like is that looks like your grandma's house, or it looks like oh my god, it's the worst kitchen. He's had that one little pot in the stove, and he's like, you know, he's like making his pasta and like this cramp thing, and people are around like the circle card table that was like everyone's like breakfast or a lot of people's breakfast table growing up and stuff like that. And it's like oh, your big gaudy house is still like a it's a shitty great like you you made a big gaudy living room to show off your wealth but like the rest of it's still like a shitty jersey house i guess yeah i just love that that stuff doesn't impress outside the era and i feel like the fact that the movie is made even in the 90s people would have recognized this yeah oh yeah their their, their grandma's house or whatever. i mean their car would have some too, nostalgia right? for it yes but they're yeah. like, I mean, they're they're like big fancy cars. Was like my first car I bought for four hundred bucks, right? Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. Well, the the I I saw a Lincoln Town car on my street earlier today, and I was like, oh, Jimmy would have killed a guy in in this and left it on the corner. Yeah, those two doors uh, were not convenient for throwing bodies out. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And uh, yeah, like I, I feel like a lot of the movie is kind of taking apart the the gangster myth in a way that's like funny. Like the movie doesn't get enough credit for being as funny as it is. It's like so funny. There's obvious stuff in the movie that like you know people people laugh at. There's a lot of dark humor, um, like the mailman getting his head shoved in a pizza oven. Like there's stuff like that that's like funny, but also like Jesus Christ, that's awful. Um, but there's stuff in here that like when he has to go to jail. They're all like getting drunk and like at a bar and he's not hanging out with his wife and his family or spending time with his kids. And he gets in a cab and he's like, I'll call you to his wife. (laughs) Funny. Sure. Well, that's Um, after they haven't been talking because he went and did the Florida job to, you know, get away from like, go take a little vacation in Florida, kill a guy, come back, make up with your wife. And then like, yeah. I'll call you is a romance to this particular generation. Um, but uh, and then he gets in the, in the cab and he goes, he goes, take me to prison. Smash yeah. cut to a guy with a razor blade slicing the thinnest slice of garlic on planet. And then Henry is not talking about the shit you hear in prison movies, the showers. And uh, my my cellmate was a white supremacist with a Nazi tattoo on his forehead. <laughs> like it wasn't anything. He's just like, OK, so this is how we had to deal <laughs> So I didn't have a, he didn't have a real knife, obviously. So he used a razor blade to slice garlic. <laughs> the smash You would cut. slice a little too thin. And I, I didn't necessarily like it, but it was okay. It's in prison. You got to make two. Like, there's stuff that never made me laugh about this movie. But as an adult, like, it's an obvious joke. Like, take me to prison. Smash cut to a man preparing spaghetti. <laughs> uh, Carrie, what are some, what are some uh, themes or topics? As I know we're already getting, getting pretty far into this that, um. That we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I just, like, I'm just trying to, like, go back through because we've talked about, we've talked about so many things with this movie. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's just, like, this is this is not a movie where it's easy to kind of go point by point because no. there's just, yeah. Um, we haven't talked about Joe Pesci. We haven't talked about Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci's And the fact that when he kills people, he sounds like a raccoon eating a sandwich. He's so... How funny is that? Like, this is... This is unrelated to Goodfellas. (laughs) But, like, how funny is it that he's back on TV on the fucking Pete Davidson show? I watched... (laughs) Really? Yeah, he's he's he hasn't done anything since The Irishman. And even then, it was, like, The Good Shepherd for, like, a scene... And he, now he's a series regular on the Pete Davidson show Bupkiss. As his as Pete Davidson plays himself and Joe Pesci is his uncle. That's hilarious. He's good. Yeah. I watched the first couple episodes. I was curious enough to see Joe Pesci on a TV show. Uh, and he's, I mean, he's he's great. Like, he, it's, it's worth watching it for that. There's, uh, there's also shots of when uh, Joe Pesci listed maybe his, like, Long Island home or something I gotta find. Um... And it's amazing. It's so corny, just like you know the the Janice's apartment and whatever, and Karen's home and in in this. But he's also got just tons of Joe Pesci merch all around the house. <laughs> like he's just he, he was just like I don't know. It was awesome. I was in a lot of movies for a long time. <laughs> like, yeah, he. I mean, he he is like. So, like, I'm, I'm not surprised. Thank God they gave him the Oscar for this and didn't have to give him, like, a legacy one for, like, Gone Fishing or something in 1998. But, I mean, he's uh, a movie everyone remembers. Danny Glover? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw him in theaters, so I don't know. 
forgotten by time. Um, but he he is so good, and he is like he's he's good at being like scary. Um, like the the funny scenes and obvious ones shooting spider, but like it it's you can see why like when you're watching this movie and you're like relating to like if if I you're picturing yourself as the Ray, Ray Liotta person, if I was in this world, this is what I would be. Like you you just feel like you feel kind of on edge when it's just Tommy and Henry, and you feel like when Jimmy's there, it's like this is the calming presence that'll that'll listen to it. It, it like. You know, he does feel just dangerous just by existing because he really does seem to have, you know, he he loves that he's full-blooded Italian. He's not someone who got, like, uh, conscripted into the life. Like, he was was born into the life. He's, like, third generation. And he expects people to treat him that way. Like, he expects people to, to recognize that he is deserving of respect no matter what he ends up doing to them. And it's like... It is it is it's the quintessential gangster of like I'm going to dish it out. And like gangster not just like gangster in in a mob movie but like in real life as well. Like I'm going to dish it out as much as I want and I literally can't take a sliver of criticism and I will react in violent ways and because I'm a violent, you know, uh, a a violent person, people will just give me all the deference that I need. It's almost like you know, like a lot of people have written about whether it's Trump or other CEOs is like it's it, he is, you know, uh, society rewards sociopaths. They do. And like he is rewarded up until the point uh, that he's not. Um, yeah. And also, he's, like he's, he's super he's super entitled the whole time. And like in real life, the real Tommy was apparently like that. A psychopath um, killed killed a lot of people he didn't need to kill. Yeah. Um, and apparently, yeah, the reason he actually went down is, you know, he was serving under like the Lucchese family and he killed, <clears throat> he killed a couple of like guys that like, sir, like basically rounded up to like John Gotti, like in the Gambino family, like genuinely like killing him was sort of like getting a mad dog off the streets, but also like, yeah. it was sort of like a political thing. Like, okay. Like he killed not just made men, but like the wrong made men. We need to cool this shit down like for some reason though his death scene is like one of the only parts movie that actually makes me sad it's (laughs) upsetting like like you know you are still rooting for him a little bit yeah like you see all these horrible things happen and he's doing so many horrible things and then that happens and you're like oh that sucks He thought it was his big. Game. I wanted him to have a nice boy. day. He's wearing he was, this nice suit. He got suit. all dressed up. His yeah. mom is all like excited for him. His friends are waiting to hear. It was going to be a big time. birthday day. Yeah. They take yeah. time to have his mom like tighten his lapel a little bit, like you know, pull him together. Um, Come obviously, on, mom, stop Mar- it. You're embarrassed. Today. Obviously, that's, that's <laughs> Marty's mom, who's in a bunch of these movies. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Nepotism yeah, runs the... wild in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's also she's also a um she's, she's like a, nep- a mob she's a mom in casino. Mommy? Mommy. <laughs> nepotism like, mommy. Nepo mommy. Yeah. Nepo mommy. Nepo, nepo Standard mommy. nepo mommy. Uh we don't have time to get into it, I don't feel like, but it should be known, like I do think this this movie is also like a critique of capitalism, and and you know that because it's been yeah. used in every goddamn parody ever. I will say, like, I made this joke about the Pallies thing. Like, that's the only funny version of the like Tommy one times or like the going through the the God, mob. So good. I hate 
Goodfellas. I feel like most Goodfellas parodies are bad. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is exactly. Like even the Community episode that does the chicken fingers. It's actually one of my least favorite episodes of those first couple of years of Community. Like for some reason, I feel like parodies of this just don't work in a way that usually like tick, you know, get me. And they I don't should. know. Yeah, I, I don't have a good reason for it, but I would say like I really like the way they really uh, hit on that. And, and my favorite little detail on like the capitalist uh, American capitalist critique of it is like the way that these people who literally get all their money from extortion and stealing um, complain about people asking for handouts, which is like the perfect little bit of irony. Like you are literally pointing guns and you don't want to work. That's your whole thing. I don't work. I Everyone who works is a suckers. I steal money. We take what we want. And then they're like, these losers, these lazy bums asking for handouts. It's like, like the fact that, you know, you can't see that hypocrisy is like such a perfect commentary on like on capitalism in general. But yeah. Yeah. He doesn't want to be a schnook. Yeah. And the, the last shot. Of, well, not the last shot. The last shot of the movie um, is, is uh, Joe Pesci shooting at the camera in a reference, but um, the second to last shot of the movie is is Ray Liotta sort of wryly smiling at the camera. He's like, I guess I'm a schnook now. And Just then like you. Show, yeah, I have to wait in line t- like everyone else. Yeah, <laughs> and then they show you the title, the, t- the, 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 you know, epilogue card. That's like, no, he kept running drugs and money. <laughs> like, well, and more, too. Like, I, like, there was, like, four other incidents. Like, he kept, he wanted, he all his life, he wanted to be a gangster. Like that's literally true up until yeah. the very end. Um, I forgot about my flu- my blue. Oh man, the movie's so good. The thing is, like, what's so funny, and this can kind of go to wrap up. Uh, I haven't had time because we recorded twice this week, but uh, I definitely think this weekend I'm going to watch My Blue Heaven, and I'm gonna. I have been itching to watch Casino. It does. I I know it's an old. It's a yes. very old joke that it feels like a, a sequel to this movie, but like. That's the way I felt. I felt like when I watched like an Indiana Jones or a Back to the Future, it's like, well, I'm going to watch the next one. Like it, it or a star, you know, one of the Star Wars. It feels like I can't just watch one. And I've been itching to watch Casino mainly because I just want more of the like it is a little bit more of the same. And it's this the same is like one of the best things of all time. And and Casino does more of the best things of all time with a its own great story and and characters on even like a white like he had more you know peter you mentioned like that you wish some of this went on longer like casino's kind of answering that wish like i this will go on much longer and you will like it as much as you do goodfellas like you're not going to complain about spending time with like this type of filmatic energy (laughs) yeah yeah and and you know what's kind of funny is like joe pesci's character is like arguably the same character (laughs) if he had survived because yeah. he's way worse. He's way more violent. Like in Casino, yeah. In Casino, like that vice grip scene is is disgusting, and his death is way more horrifying in Casino. But Robert De Niro gets to do, I think, a far more challenging role because um, he has to be like the the mad dog for a few scenes. But a lot of times, he's like the guy who has to reel in the mad dogs. Yeah. yeah. And and then he also has to do comedy scenes, like yelling at a guy about putting too many muffin or any too many blueberries in a muffin or not. Oh, that's right. He has. Of, well, he also does his. Uh, he has a talk show for a while, right? Yeah, he's trying to get his license. Yeah, it's all good stuff. Uh, 
Great movie. I want to. I, I now it just makes me want to rewatch all all of his gangster movies. I haven't seen Departed in a while, and I could I could rewatch Irishman even. Yeah, Irishman's very different style, but Irishman, I think Irishman I is about like... two thirds the same style, and then the last third is like actually this guy is a fucking depressing mess. It's like two thirds pretty similar. Good Goodfellas is like, oh, all this shit was really fun, and the Irishman is like, no, it wasn't. No, it's yeah. like this is this is this is this this was a sad and tough life for all of these people, and it ended terribly, and they all dad and they all died sad and alone. I think yeah. we talked. I think we talked about that on that best of episode. That like yeah. it was. I think it wasn't on my list. I think it was on both of your lists. But yeah. I remember saying like definitely mine. Part part of it was like I it was it was such a bummer, and it was like it was very good, but it's a bummer, and it's long, and like I just can't see myself revisiting as much as I would like a Casino Goodfellas, and that's not to take away from like it being a five star movie. It's like when I'm like rating favorites, it's it, but it's doing that on purpose, like. Casino and Goodfellas and even like Wolf of Wall Street and the you know Departed is supposed to be you're supposed to be excited by it and like even though you're supposed to also feel guilty for being excited about it it doesn't change what you're seeing on screen and like the way everything's presented well whereas like you know the Irishman is like oh man yeah what what a wasted life <laughs> there are, there are yeah, days I, when I would say I like the Irishman more not because I think it's a better movie, but because it 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 had to be made when there was enough time that there could be distance to reflect yep. on Goodfellas and its legacy and yep. everything. And it feels like it is, you know, it's a very late career. Like I'm I'm reflecting on my life. I'm reflecting on like the stories I've told. And now I'm telling a new version of that story with more maturity and more distance and like thinking about the implications of everything. And I think that's super interesting. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. there it's layered in a way that Goodfellas really can't be. Yeah. But mm-hmm. like, you know, you're you not going to be reacting to itself. Right. But you're not going to watch yeah, that when you're in the mood thing, to watch yeah. Goodfellas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's just, they're, they're, they're doing entirely different things. Where if you're exactly. in the mood to watch Goodfellas, you actually have a few different options to choose. Right. From. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'll just throw my final thoughts in real quick sure. because they're going to be short this week. Um, everyone knows about this movie rules, and I'm not going to be particularly profound about it. Um, but the thing I wanted to connect back to the Catholic thing at the beginning, um, I think Marty is particularly excellent at explaining like why people do crime. Um, and it doesn't, like, try and moralize, moralize away all the joys of doing crime. I've noticed that this trend in, like, particularly, like, indie movies where when bad things are happening, they need to make sure people are having a bad time doing them, too. Mm-hmm. Or that's, like, the new cool thing with, like, movies in the past ten years is, like, if it's a crime movie, people have to look sad doing crime. And, like, the point of this is that, like, it made Henry Hill feel like a god a lot of times, right? Like, and, and the way that he's reflecting and changing history by telling the history, he's smoothing over the parts where he feared for his life or he got beaten by someone and he got beaten by a made man and he couldn't fucking do anything about it. And like, you know, he's... Uh, the parts we had to do shitty jobs or hurt people that he didn't want to hurt. And like he had, he had to help hurt friends. Um, apparently 
Tommy, the real life Tommy, this is not in the movie, but the real life Tommy killed like his best friend because he was maybe possibly talking to the cops. Um, and so he chose to kill him with a wire. He ch- opted to choke his best friend to death. <laughs> um, so because I, I maybe it made him, maybe he was just so mad at him. Maybe, you know, he thought like that was the best way to do it because it was quiet. I don't fucking know. He's a psychopath, right? But the point is, is this, is that like, Marty is doesn't shy away, obviously, from the violence and the horrific shit. It's like one of the first things we see in the movie, right, is, is, is a horrible, horrible stabbing. But he doesn't use that as a way to be like, everybody that does crime is dumb. It explains very clearly that that the American dream is kind of a lie mm-hmm. and that working hard doesn't get you raised up much at all. And that the, the these people believed in some version of the American dream and they wanted to chase it. It's just they found a different way to, to enact capitalism. And while they were doing it, they did have a lot of fun. And they remember it being a lot of fun. You know, they it's the way the memory can work. Sometimes you smooth over the the rough pieces. Um, or you bury the happy moments. It just kind of depends on what story you're telling. But when you're trying to convince somebody to tell your story in a fucking book like Henry Hill was... He's, he's he's incentivized to be like, oh, here's all the awesome shit I did. And the movie reflects that because it's a man reflecting on his past, sort of as a flip side to the Irishman, a man reflecting on his past and going, man, I mean, I almost died a lot. And I did a lot of blow and I hit my wife all the time. But like, man, I had a good time. And like the movie is a is a good time. And it's about how all of the shit is sick and twisted and you shouldn't do it. And it does it in a way that's not condescending and it's not acting like we're fucking children and nobody's allowed to have fun when bad things are happening. Really quickly, and this could be my final thoughts and Carrie can can take us home. Um, but the I think that's a this movie very explicitly calls out something that's present in a lot of Martin Scorsese's movies, which is that like that the 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 mob or the goodfellas and they've kind of noted that like everything they're doing already exists within the system other people got here and called it first before we had a chance to so like that is their way of moralizing right they they the 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 enforcement that's happening cops beat people up there that's what justice is like in this country like we've decided this okay fleecing people to get rich that is the entire system of capitalism is is based on exploitation like that is the the idea of these people like they are criminal and they are you know bad people and they and all and they have done terrible things but it's it's a reflection on the society that they see around them not people existing at odds with the rule of law and justice within a society and so like uh that this movie's so good at that and a lot of other Scorsese movies are just like, hey, it's bullshit, they've called it first. Like we can also do exactly what they're doing. And and that's the part that I think like um you know it yes, like to go back to the college dorm poster theme, like I, I you know, everyone can be wowed with the the action and the editing and the performances and the, the movie and everything else and the that's good there there's a lot at this underbelly though that you know i why i think it's i think that's why it's a good movie like i i said it last week when we were about to talk about this like if every generation has the 16 year olds and the 18 year olds who discover this movie and go holy shit i love movies differently then like this is the perfect college dorm poster like i hope every generation discovers this not just for the fact that it's all the things but it also like 
it has a very like pointed critique at our society that will likely be as relevant, unfortunately, to everyone that sees it, um, you know, that saw it in 1990, that sees it for the first time in 2023 or 53 or 83 or whatever else it is. And like a lot of, you know, a lot of the type of movies that are exciting to like, we're going to eventually talk about Boondock Saints. Like that is action with no substance and no message. And the message that exists is gross and terrible. Like, like if that is the movie that you go, holy shit, this is my first action movie I've seen like this. You're, you're, you're leaving going like you're leaving at well, somewhat worse person probably, but at the very least, a, a, you know, not focusing on the right things. Even a movie like Pulp Fiction, which I love it, it, it's, it's, it's a stylized exercise in like, you know, a lot of genre filmmaking coming together and doing it in this clever, unique 90s way with these great performances. There's not a like core like twist at the at the underneath that when you when you're in you're 18 and you're watching it for the 10th time in your dorm and go, oh, holy shit. I see what like I see what this is about. Like and, and to start getting you into that thing that like why those film classes that we took in high school and college were so great, like where it made you like understand what the movie is trying to say in, in addition to like what it was trying to show you and how those two are like intricately linked in the visuals and the content without just explaining because so much, I, I feel like so many movies that you watch at a younger age are explaining the moral to you, explaining what this movie is about. And this is like a perfect movie to get you excited to understand what films look a little different on like what kind of, what amazing filmmaking can be, but also like, it's not going to spoon feed you. It's not going to tell you everything is, 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 is good or bad or everything else. And you need to really like pick up on those messages. And that's the perfect, we're going to go to the Denny's or the Perkins and we're going to talk about this amazing movie that we saw. And we're going to, you know, start getting into the themes just by way of conversating with friends. So yeah, I love this movie. Carrie, why don't you take us home? I have two things. The first is very stupid. Um, I, when I grew up and I started listening to like rock stations, uh, I somehow only ever heard like the radio edit of Layla. And then I started hearing people talking about like that, the great use of that song in this movie. And I'm like, sure. What? (laughs) I can never place what scene that is. And then like years years after i had seen this movie many times i like heard the whole version i'm like oh i get it now there's this whole yeah. other section that they didn't play on the radio that's my first thing i mean um, i didn't know that i really hope someone while. else yeah. had that experience yeah. I, I did yeah, that not why would i listen to the full like, you think I'm listening to the full layla at 16 <laughs> carrie when i saw this movie i didn't know that forever <laughs> And uh, to make it even more confusing, I believe on the soundtrack, they only use the piano exit. Um, so there's a radio cut, which is like the, yeah. like the, the whole Eric Clapton thingy. Get me on my uh, knees! And, that, and then the, actually the part of the song that's like gorgeous and beautiful yeah. um, is, uh, is, I believe on the soundtrack, they just have like a cut of that. That that would make sense, yeah. Because yeah. it's like an eight minute song. It would it would right. It would take up so much time. It's it not would eight minutes, but... be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it'd be um, ridiculous. It's not eight minutes, but yeah. No, but I, the larger point is, I think uh, talking talking this through has kind of helped me uh, get more clarity on like why this was the movie I wanted to do for this month, because 
um, in thinking about, you know, in thinking about these like dorm poster movies and the ones that I've seen, uh, first of all, there's there are some that like, you know, like Clockwork Orange were like, I've actually not seen that. I've seen parts of it. I just sort of know, I have a good feeling that's not going to be my movie, you know? And like, <laughs> I, I'm sure it's amazing. But like, there, there, there are certain movies like that where, you know, f- because of what I know about them, I had this kind of like, okay, I should stay away from this. And then there were the ones that I saw where it felt very distancing. The ones that felt like, okay, this is, I can appreciate this, but this isn't something that I feel like is bringing me in. And Goodfellas is all about bringing you in. Goodfellas Mm -hmm. is about like, oh, you don't think you fit in in this world? Well, let's show you how you will. And it's really cool. And it's going to be really fun. And it's all about like the entry point. And so like the entry point for being like, I actually do want to explore this. I do want to like be like the cool guy and that kind of thing. It's it. Goodfellas is kind of, it, it, it's it's so accessible is kind of the wrong word, but it's like it it wants to be a big tent. It wants you to feel like you're a part of something. And for all of these movies that, at least in my experience, were very, uh, you know, it was showing me what I was not a part of. This was the one that was like, oh, you can be. And it's going to be yeah. great. And everyone's going to have a great time. So, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I can't even count the number of times I've seen this, but I think, like, talking it through is now giving me an even deeper appreciation for it. And even though I just watched it two nights ago, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm really excited to watch it again. And I've never seen My Blue Heaven, so now I'm going to watch that, too. It's it's so funny. It's a very It's a very sweet rom-com it's like a buddy comedy it is a rom-com yeah it's it's but it yeah, is steve primarily martin and a buddy rick, comedy yeah steve martin rick moranis nor efron like it's it's great Delightful. it's so sweet yeah it's a good it's a good like sunday movie um yeah but thank you carrie that was so yeah, that was, that so was great, great I, yeah yeah i uh I was insane i've been having so much fun this month uh especially getting to reconnect with some of our our buds um but uh i also have a little bit of guilt that like i haven't had you we haven't had uh you and rick on uh very much um we've been gotta, gotta be, you gotta bring me and rick back together again we do yeah, we, we talked about we gotta do like a pause every day. i know we, I, we were joking <laughs> the... about that with rick rick like we're like oh yeah now that now that we now that we talk we don't make you come into our world to talk to us as often like it's fine like we still get yeah but we gotta do all four of us again that's what i want all four of us (laughs) on zoom now yes exactly uh yeah (laughs) next week um we're doing the shushing redemption which Mm -hmm. i actually i'm gonna get off this uh this recording and try to read a little bit more i'm reading the novelette novella yeah novella for the first time it's really good like i uh I've been reading so much Dark Tower. I've been reading so much Dark Tower, Stephen King, that I forgot like how uh, good he can be when he's not like, oh my god, I forgot how much I have to read all this stupid character names. And pl- I'm in the very end of the Dark Tower. It's uh, he's not inviting you in anymore. 
to his writing. Uh, but yeah, re- starting to read this, I was like, oh my god, this is yeah, I'm I'm breezing through, I'm loving it. So that I'm different excited. seasons collection is great. Yeah, I'm playing. I bought the book because I figure I'll. I, I've always meant to read the body, especially. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but I, I mean, I. I I am I am an official dad, and so I yes I do like Shawshank Redemption, um, and I'm excited to talk. I'm excited to talk. There's gonna be no surprises the that week's episode. I'm pretty sure we're gonna gonna still talk about it. I can understand if you don't think it's the best movie of all time or a five star movie, but I I, I'm very surprised by anyone that just wouldn't like. It's a very pleasant, yeah, happy movie. It's a good movie. So. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, yeah. So next week we'll be we'll be climbing through a bunch of shit to get to the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, good night. Good night. love to watch if you made it to the end hopefully you liked what you heard today and if you'd like to hear more please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch and if you can chip in a few bucks that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward uh it wasn't an implicit threat by peter he just didn't know how to say it but either way we'll continue to make more but it would be helpful uh, as we explained to our loved ones where all our money is going which is all on server space uh <laughs> if you can't <laughs> uh if you don't have a few bucks to chip in we totally understand and you want to support the show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>